your dry season is over. Your dry season is over. And so like we say that our vision is to reveal the simplicity and the power of the gospel truth for daily use. It's pointless to come here and just enjoy ourselves and then tomorrow we are back to square one and then we wait for another Sunday. We want to be applying the word of God every day as we move along. And I believe that the word that you are receiving today, you will be able to apply it from the minute you leave this place. In fact, some of you will apply it whilst you are still sitting there. Amen. And our DNA, it is to start, we are established in grace. We respond by faith and we walk in love. This is so important. And so we just want to pray even as we begin the service right now. And thank God for the vision that he has given us. And thank God for the people that he is bringing to, to be part of this vision. They are coming from the east. They are coming from the west. They are coming from the north. They are coming from the south. They are coming in their droves. They are coming just as they are. But because our DNA is to walk in love, we need to be a church that welcome people as they are. We need to be a church that loves people as they are. We need to be a, a, a church that identifies with people just as they are. Because they will only see Jesus through our lives. They will see Jesus through our talking. They will see Jesus through the way we relate with them. And so we don't expect things to just happen. We, we need to believe that things will happen through our lives because of what Jesus. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this vision. Lord, the simplicity and the power of the gospel truth for our daily use, my God. We know that the, the, the gospel has been complicated in many ways, but we believe that, Lord, as we just go line upon line, you will help us, Lord, to understand the word. And my prayer, Lord, is that everybody who is under the sound of my voice, Lord, will receive the engrafted word of God, which is able to save their souls. That, Lord, they will understand that light will just go off and begin to say, oh, yes, now I know. Now I understand because it is not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of God. And and I pray that, Lord, this DNA, let it truly be a DNA in us, my God, not just in word only. For we desire to be established in grace and to respond by faith and to walk in love in the name of Jesus. And I thank you that the love of God has been shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, because you have loved us with so much love. What manner of love that you have loved us with, that you've called us children of God. And I thank you, Lord, that even this afternoon, my God, every need that is that is represented here, we thank you that it is met in the name of Jesus. Yes, every worry, every concern, every anxiety, I thank you, my God, that you've already gone before us, oh God, because you are the God who cares, and you are the God who loves us, oh God. And we receive it this afternoon, and I say, help us, Holy Spirit, that Lord, our hopes, Lord, just, just go through the roof, our faith, my God, that Lord, we be able to embrace and receive what you have for us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, the vision nugget for the week. This is connected to our vision. It's connected to overflowing life. Uh, it's connected to grace through faith. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We are justified by faith and we have peace with God. I just want to uh, uh, give you definitions of those words that I've underlined there. The first one is justification. The simplest def just as the definition for justification is just as if you never sinned. 
When the Bible says you are justified, when God looks at you, it's just like you never sinned. That's what justification is all about. But it's, it's amazing how when we are in church, you feel like it's like you've never sinned. But when you're out there at home or in the workplace and you mess up, and then you begin to feel like God sees you like you've sinned. When you are justified, you are justified. Hallelujah. When God looks at you, he sees a justified person. He sees a righteous person. He sees a holy person. He sees a peculiar people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. It's because of Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. I always like to put it this way, that, you know, when God looks on earth, he sees two people. He sees those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, he sees you the way he sees Christ. And that is justified. The second one is peace. I like to simplify things. Peace, it simply means you are not under investigation. Hallelujah. When you know that you are not under investigation whatsoever, you will have the peace of God. But if you feel like, ah, maybe God is checking me out, maybe this one is, you don't have the peace. Jesus said, peace I give you, not as the world, uh, the world gives. The peace which goes beyond understanding. That is our position. And so the Bible is saying, because you've been justified by faith, you have peace with God. God is not investigating you, guys. Hallelujah. You are not under investigation at all. If anything, God is looking for opportunities to release some more blessing, to release some more grace, to release some more abundance, to release some more increase. Why? Because he loves you, just like he loves his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The third word, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, but the devil is a liar, amen. The devil is a liar. I am not under investigation in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. The third one is faith. Faith is agreeing and accepting what God did for you in Christ Jesus. Faith is not something that you do in order for God to do back. God does not respond to our moves. Amen. Who can move God? Nobody can move God because God is God. And so he moved in Jesus Christ. So all we need to do is to respond to what God has already done for us in Christ Jesus. That's why it's easy to exercise faith. Because you are not trying to believe what is not there so that it be there. No. Because no matter how much you put in effort, you cannot make what is not there be there. That's religious talk. Faith is seeing what is there and then agreeing with God. And as you agree with God, the power begins to flow through your life. Change begins to happen in your life in Jesus' name. And the fourth one is grace. Grace is what God did for us independent of us. 
Romans chapter 5. Whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, Christ did not choose to die because you had cried so much and you had lamented so much. No, he loved us before and he provided for you before you even showed up. This gives me excitement now because I can look forward to tomorrow because God is got something good for me tomorrow. For tomorrow. God knew that tomorrow is coming. God knew that next year is coming. God knew that all the years that are ahead of us, they are coming. And he made provision for you. That's why when the Bible says you are justified by faith, we should have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we stand by faith in this grace. It's very important to know that you are already standing in the grace. Hallelujah. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are standing in the grace. And so this understanding on its own, it just releases joy. It just releases hope. It releases expectation. And it is when we are responding to what God has done for us at the cross of Calvary, that's the power of God will begin to work. It will begin to work in our lives. Amen. That's why we are grace through faith. Because everything is by grace through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. It's not of works so that nobody can boast. Amen. So that's our vision nugget for the week. But we want to continue with our series, Your Dry Season is Over. I know we are now in part seven. So I apologize to those who are joining us for the first time. But the good thing with our messages are that they are self-contained. The message today it can stand alone as a message, but you get much more when you go back and begin to, to listen to the other messages, that the other series, that other sections of the series that we have covered. But, but today we are looking at Jesus' second commandment, uh, t- second temptation, sorry. Because the dry season is the wilderness that Jesus went into and was tempted by the devil. And we always say that Jesus went to the wilderness on your behalf so that you don't have to go to the wilderness. Because his going to the wilderness was redemptive. It was not an example. It was redemptive. It was to redeem us. It was to free us from the temptations that the devil brings in our lives, especially when things are not working all right. I'm sure you'll agree with me that, you know, sometimes it's like hell breaks loose. The fridge breaks down, the car breaks down, children are not doing their homework, and the boss at work is, you know, devil incarnate. And it's like everything is just going up and you begin to understand what is happening. It is in that moment in time now that you need to understand that Jesus went through all that so that you don't have to go through that. And even if you are going through it because of the cushioning effect of the grace of God, you will only see it with your eyes, but you will not experience it in Jesus' name. And so today we are going to focus on this very simple uh, phrase. It is written again. It will bless you. Amen. The overview of the temptation so far is, we say the temptation started in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus was was subjected to the same temptations because the devil is not a creator. He still uses the same tricks. So if you are able to beat him on these three tricks, you will be beating him every time. In the Garden of Eden, we saw that the first temptation had to do with appetites. That is food. That's why in the Garden of in, in, in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted. Can you turn these stones into bread? 
It's the same thing. It is about appetites. That's why you need to manage your appetites. You need to manage your appetites because food is the way to the heart of man. Have you noticed that when somebody, and especially ladies, if somebody says, can I take you for lunch? What they are after is not lunch. Hallelujah. They are after something else. Have you noticed that? Let me not say, well, I'm going for a business lunch. You know, can I take you for lunch? You, need, you see, that's why with men, you can't treat them like that. They'll say, what's up? They want to know, yes, you are taking me for lunch, but what's there? But ladies, you just get excited. Oh, I'm going to eat ice cream. I'm going to eat this. It's not the food. Hallelujah. <laughs> the second temptation had to do with the pride of life. Adam Eve was told, if you eat of this, it will make one wise. It will make you wise. But Jesus was, was tempted by command angels to, to command angels to stop you from falling. The pride of life, showing off. And the third temptation was the pleasures, the lust of the eyes. And Jesus was told, if you worship me, you, I'll give you all these kingdoms on earth and you will rule. We'll be looking at that one from, from next week on. But we just wanna we just wanna help us understand that the key thing behind temptations is your identity the devil wants to take your identity and change it because your identity is connected to your destiny your identity is connected to what you you are supposed to deal or to do on earth your purpose your assignment and as long as you realize that it's all about identity then the key thing is when you know your identity then the devil cannot move you and you don't have to do anything to prove who you are. In the garden it says you will be like God. The devil was after identity. Because remember identity was connected to the dominion minded, isn't it? Let us create man in our image and in our likeness and let them have dominion. You see the dominion power, the dominion mindset that we have, it is connected to the identity. If you lose your identity now, you will not even know that you have got Dominion. You don't even know that you've got mandate. That's why you have people, they are, they are living like animals. Why? Because they don't know that they are created in the image of God and in, their likeness, in his likeness. In the wilderness, the devil was saying, if you are the son of God, again, it was an attack on identity. And I can guarantee you, even on your life, it is all about identity. They'll say, well, you say you're a Christian. What about this? You say you're a Christian. What about that? Why? They are challenging our identity. Because Satan will do anything he can in his power to distort our identity. Because lost identity, stolen identity, it is lost purpose. But today we want to look at, it is written again. It's very interesting because Matthew chapter 4 verses 5 and 7, uh, it is said, then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord. You see, this time the devil quoted the scripture correctly because a summary of what we've covered on this second temptation is that like i've said it is about identity 
And in this case, Satan is challenging Jesus with the word. Remember in the first temptation, Jesus said, it is written, men shall not live on bread alone. So the devil comes around now and says, okay, you are giving me what is written, I'll also show you what is written. And he started quoting from Psalms 91 verses 11 and 12. And his aim now, he brings you the correct scripture, but he, he, he twists it in the sense that he wants to give you an impression where you should be doubting God even instead of getting an assurance that God is on your side. That is his aim. So now, he, he also tried to distort, to, to abort his, his mission because the scripture that he quoted, it went on to talk about how Jesus was going to crush the head of the cobra, the head of the serpent. But the devil left that bit out. Why? Because he wants you to give up on your dreams. He wants you to give up on your hope so that when you give up now, you will say, I am not responsible. You decided to give up, so don't blame me. He will make you do things and then he will step aside and then you blame yourself and you move on into guilt and so on and so forth. The temptation is about pride, abuse of power and privileges. That's the pride of life. People who are caught up in the pride of life, they are abusing their power and they are abusing their privileges. Things that are rightfully theirs, but you either overdo it or you do it at the wrong time and so on and so forth. But the key thing is you need to know your identity and you need to know Satan's deception strategies. We covered that all last week. But today we are going to move on to the last part of this temptation. It is written. Jesus simply said to him, it is written again. You shall not tempt the Lord. Satan will give you a second chance and a third chance to compromise. Did you know that? He will give you another chance. Why? Because he is after your identity. But it is your responsibility to know what is written for you. It's your responsibility to know what is written in the scriptures so that Satan does not distort the scriptures. I can tell you that the devil is causing havoc even in churches because he will make the preacher quote, quote the scripture out of context. He will take the scripture out of context and you begin to harass you with that scripture and you begin to be hounded and hounded and hounded. But you need to be like the, the, the disciples in Berea. I don't remember whether it was Acts chapter 16 or 17. Paul preached to them and they were taking notes. And when they went home, they opened scriptures to check out if what they were taught was correct. That's what you need to do. The fact that it's coming from the pulpit, it doesn't mean that it is all okay. You need to check out because in checking out, you get your own revelation. And that will help you and that will strengthen you. And this is the kind of disciples that we are raising in this place. It's not challenging because if something is not clear, you just say, oh, pastor, you say this, this, this. Can you please explain? I didn't get it clear. Then we explain to you and you get to know it in Jesus' name. Now, the big question is, what is written again? I will amplify this for the rest of the service. But the point is, what is written again is the grace of God. 
The grace of God is what is written again. It is the gospel. The grace is the gospel. Because Paul says, uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Which means the gospel is the power that brings salvation. Then Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace saved you, and Paul is saying the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Therefore, grace is the gospel. It is the good news. Why is it good news? Because news is something that has already happened. Hallelujah. That's why faith is easy. Because you are talking about what has already happened. Not what is going to happen. It has already happened, but in the spirit realm. When you believe it now, you are translating it from the spirit realm into the physical. Acts 20, 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of grace will build you up. When you are going through tough times, the word of grace will build you up. When you are going through good times, the word of grace will build you up. And it will give you an inheritance. Hallelujah. I don't know if you know that there's an inheritance. Inheritance is something that you don't work for. It's already there. But if you don't know that your great-grandmother left some inheritance for you, you'll be dying here of poverty when there's an inheritance that is waiting for you. But if somebody comes and tells you that there's an inheritance, I mean, I would give it a go. Hallelujah. Because if it's an inheritance, I have nothing to lose. And that is the grace of God. We need to feed on and establish our hearts on the grace of God. It is written again. This is where the power to overcome difficult times is. The grace of God. So the first it is written, it is really more of a recap from the first temptation. But I think it is really good so that we get it in context. The first it is written, Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. He quoted partly uh, verse 3, that men shall not live on bread alone, but by, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. But we understood that if you read it in context, it gives you a, different, a totally different meaning. Because he's, the context is, so he, that is God, humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone but by lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the lord your garments did not wear out of you nor did you did your feet swell these 40 years you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son so the lord your god chastens you the context is totally different because in context it was the children of Israel receiving the grace of God in the wilderness. They received manna, they didn't know where it came from. They didn't get sick for 40 years. Hallelujah. And their clothes remained fashionable for 40 years. I like that. This is a miracle. This is the grace of God. Why? God was pouring his grace to his children despite the fact that these guys were rebellious. 
But because he is gracious by nature, he loves his children. Now, how much more now that you are a child of God? You know very well, if you can do something good to somebody who is rebellious, what about somebody who is loyal? You lavish them. You lavish them. But the point is, this was talking about Jesus. This was redeemed, because Jesus said, it is written. In other words, he said, this story is actually talking about me. And this was Jesus redeeming us from the wilderness. Because Jesus experienced the desert temptation. He was made hungry. He was humbled. But he was not fed with the manna. Why? Because he had now come to fulfill the commandments which were conditional to that thing. And he overcame because he knew that this was a replay. Have many, some of you have, have watched football. You know, you will, be, you will be stupid if you are watching a replay on TV and you know that your team won and there's three minutes to go. Would you be anxious? Hello? Would you be anxious? Say, oh, three minutes left now. It's supposed to be three nil, but three minutes, can they make it? You are not going to be anxious if you know that it's a replay. Either they'll go into extra time or something is going to happen, but what I know is that we are going to win. So when we say it is written again, because when you know what's written, you know what has happened. So you will not be anxious, you will not be worried, and Jesus knew that very well. What was written? Jesus was being chastened so that Isaiah 53 verse 5 becomes true. Because in verse 5 there we see that the scripture saying, so you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. He was chastening Jesus Christ in the wilderness so that Isaiah 53 become a reality. Because Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace, remember, was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Every pain that was supposed to come upon you, it was upon Jesus Christ. Every agony that was supposed to be upon you, it was upon Jesus. So you don't have to go through that. You can't, even the laws of this land, you can't be tried for the same case twice. Hallelujah. If somebody went to jail for you, and they find that actually it was you who was supposed to go to jail, you are not going to go to jail because that sentence has already been has already been uh, taken care of by somebody else. Jesus was in the wilderness for your sake, not his. Did you know, guys, that Jesus did not have to go to the wilderness? He didn't even have to go to the cross. He had no sin, he had nothing. So he did it for you and for me. So if he died for you, and then he rose again, it means he rose from the dead for you. Hallelujah. I love that. I love that. So we need to take advantage. John chapter 6 verse 32 35. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. That's the manna. 
But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the manna that came from heaven. How does this play in our lives? Because of Jesus Christ, you have more than just physical manna. Hallelujah. It's about covenant. This is a covenant of grace. It's a covenant that is in your favor. Because if God was able to give manna to people who were disobeying him, people who were rebellious, people who were, who were just under God, how much more for you who is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Much, much, much more. In other words, what the devil tries to tempt you into is nothing compared to what God has for you. To what God has provided for you and prepared for you in Christ Jesus. It also means that even in the desert, Jesus has you cushioned. He has, has you taken care of. You are covered. Hallelujah. You are covered. You need to know that you are covered. And sometimes you need to remind your mind that, Amen, remember, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And forget not all his benefits. Because the mind, sometimes when pressure builds up, your mind gets confused. And you even forget your name. But you need to remind the mind. Forget not all his benefits. He, remember, he saved us. He delivered us. He healed us. And he crowned us with loving kindness and his tender mercies. And this time he's not going to let us down. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are encouraging yourself. And in place of chastisement, you, are, you now have peace, you now have healing, you now have restoration in the name of Jesus. Which is why from the very start we're saying, God is not responsible for the wilderness in your life. God is not responsible for the pain and the hardships that you go through in this life. It is the devil who is after the word in your heart. You need to know that. And your part, our part is to believe and receive. And even right now, as you hear the word of faith, you need to believe that miracles are happening in your life right now. It could be at work, it could be at home, wherever it is. You need to believe that things are changing. Things are no longer the same again in my life, in the name of Jesus. And then we move to the second, it is written. This is now concerning this temptation. This in this temptation, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. You will be blessed. It said, he said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Now, I don't know about you, when you are reading, do you just read and then you move on? Here it's saying, as you tempted him in Massa, which means there was an occasion when God was tempted. And it was in Massa. Now, what, what, what drew my attention was I was reading this and said, why Massa? What is Massa? And what happened at Massa? And I'll show you. You'll be blessed. This was in Exodus chapter 17, verses 2 and 5. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? 
And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you brought us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord and said, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. The rod of miracles. But here what's interesting is that people were complaining against Moses. People were doubting Moses' leadership. They were grumbling and complaining, you know, like we always do, you know, sometimes in the workplace or, uh, you know, when you are not responsible, any problem, just point it to the boss, point it to the leader, point it, say, this is happening. Can you do something, pastor? We have no praise and worship. Can you do something, pastor? We have no air conditioning. Can you do something? Complaining and complaining and complaining. Not only did they complain, they even preferred the Egyptian bondage. Did you know that this place called Massa, some of us will visit from time to time, but I pray that you don't camp there. Because you begin to say, ha, ah, maybe it was better before I became a Christian. My life was a lot better. You are at Massa. Are we together? You want to go back to Egypt, to bondage. Because you are, you, are not, you are not aware, you are not enlightened to understand that God said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Past life. People say, oh, maybe it was better in the past. They doubted God's wisdom and his plan, taking them through the wilderness, taking them out of Egypt. They were doubting all that, and they were ready to kill Moses. They were ready to kill Moses. You know, life, life happens when you're at Massa. Begin to say, I don't care about this Jesus. Don't tell me about Jesus. Huh? You're at Massa. Hallelujah. Who is Jesus? Call me, you want me to go to church? What church? Leave me alone. I'm solving my problems. You're at Massa. Hallelujah. It didn't finish there. From, then, 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 then verse 6 says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. Then verse 7, So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because the people the children, the, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord amongst us or not? Sometimes you get to a situation when you begin to ask yourself, Is the Lord amongst us? Is the Lord with me? God, where are you? You are at Massa. Tempting God is when you doubt God's covenant. <laughs> When you think that God did not mean it when he said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. When you begin to, to, to cast away the dream that God has given you, the prophetic word that is upon your life, begin to say, no, this is too much. I think God did not foresee this. I think God made a mistake. That is tempting God. That is tempting God. 
But again, God gave them abundance of grace. He gave them water. Why? Because the nature of God is love, grace, and mercy. That's his nature. And you know why he did that? Because of his covenant with Abraham. Because of covenant, God is bound to bless the people. And because of the covenant he has with Jesus Christ, he is bound to love you and to help you and to be with you every time. That's the power of covenant. That's why you need to work on the bargain, the covenant chip. That's your bargaining power. Covenant, not your good works. No. Not the church you go. No. Not all these, these uh, your devotions and your prayers and your fasting. No. The bargaining chip is the covenant. Because when you place the covenant there, God will honor because it is his word. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. They didn't deserve anything. So when we say we are in this covenant of grace with Jesus Christ, God is giving us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve it. So if God did it for the rebellious, how about you who is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Now here is the redemptive power. This is very powerful. You remember that Moses said to strike the rock and water came out? Did you know that that was symbolic? When you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud, that's Holy Spirit baptism, and in the sea, that's water baptism, all ate of the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ hallelujah he was there imagine he is there where you think our oh, things are so tough here he is there and you are even banging the ground you know and you say oh it's so hard even the ground I'm sitting you are banging on Jesus hallelujah he was there. He is the rock that brought the water. And we know that Moses struck once and the water came out. This was symbolic because Jesus was going to suffer once and he was going to die once for the problem to be solved. In other words now, we don't have to strike Jesus again. You don't have to strike the rock again. What we now do is we speak to the rock. When you read in Numbers 20 now, because the same scenario happened again, and the children of Israel were complaining, and God said to Moses now, go to the rock, but speak to the rock. Don't strike it. He struck the rock, water came out, but Moses missed the promised land because he disobeyed God. Why? You don't kill Jesus twice. When you've got a perfect perfect sacrifice once is enough for all for all time hallelujah so when jesus was saying it is written again he was talking about himself he knew that he had been there but the devil did not know him why which is something that i'm going to talk about now is as, as, as i go as we go back to the to the to the to 
to, to, to Jesus answer that it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus did not complete the verse. He did not complete the scripture. Because when we look at it, we saw that there was a lot of text that was there. Why? John 7, 6 tells us, then Jesus answered them. This was his brothers. They were saying, let's go to Jerusalem. There's a feast. Let's go to Jerusalem. There's... Then he said, my time has not yet come. But your time is always ready. What are we saying? What we are saying is, never reveal yourself to early. Jesus quoted part of the, it is written. He didn't want to give away to the devil. Because the devil did not really know whether this Jesus is the one who was going to be crucified or whatever. And the devil does not know everything about your life. Just for your information. When you are talking, he is taking notes on you. You say, ah, I didn't know this one does not have confidence. Ah, I didn't know this one is about to die of this sickness. He's taking notes now and he begins to attack you. But you should never reveal yourself to Ellie. Jesus remained quiet. He wanted not to be known. That's why when he was casting, he was healing some of these people, he told them, don't tell anybody. Why? Because it's not the devil who should testify of Jesus. It is us, the saints. Hallelujah. I like it there, Elizabeth and Joseph. Do you know the story of Elizabeth and Joseph? Uh, it should be Mary and Joseph. Not Elizabeth. Mary and Joseph. Have you wondered why? When Angel Gabriel came and told Mary, you're going to have a baby, virgin birth. And immediately, she went to be with Elizabeth for six months. Do you know why? It was going to be almost impossible for her, for her to tell Joseph the following day that, you know, I'm pregnant, but I didn't sleep with anybody. Joseph would talk her out of that pregnancy. Mary had to go away six months. You see, when you are six months pregnant, you can't abort the baby. It's too late. So when Mary came now and said, you know, Joseph, you see, I'm pregnant. No, no amount of talking would make Mary abort. Why? Because it's too late. In other words, you need to keep things to yourself until your vision is so big that even when you talk to people, they will not make you abort it. Some of us, you, when you just have an idea, when it is a small idea, you don't even know whether it is going to happen or it is really materialized, begin to talk to people. And then people say, hey, you are daydreaming. They are making you abort your dream. They are making you kill your dream before it has come through. Just mull it over with the Holy Spirit. Meditate on it until it grows and until it grows. And when you begin to talk about it, it is so big that even when people try to talk you out of it, it's too late. Just tell them, guys, it's too late. It's coming. Hallelujah. Also, don't talk too much. Don't talk too much. Some people are talking too much. Let it mature. You see, if, you, if God spoke to you, you get details from God about that idea. Amen. You get the, idea, you get the details from God because he's the one who he knows. He's got the full picture. So in your prayer, in your studying, in your meditation, you are now trying to make this picture real. And when it becomes real, and it becomes visible, and it becomes so big, it becomes, it, when you now see the picture, then you begin to talk. 
You remember our, say, our, our session on the, the woman with the issue of blood. She heard about Jesus. And then when she heard, she started meditating on that stuff until she began to see herself healed. And when she saw herself healed, that's when she started talking about it. If only I can touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. You talk when you've seen what you've heard. Amen. Now, Jesus understood abundance of grace. Here is the context of Jesus' answer concerning the second temptation. That was Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 to 16. You see, he quoted verse 16, but the context is from verse 10. It says, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which you, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, Hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is a jealousy God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you have tempted him. Amen. The simple point is look what God has done for you. Don't be carried away with the proud of pride of life and forget him. You will be tempting him. That was the simple message. You see, because when the grace of God manifests in your life, the pride of life will arise. There will be that temptation. I will show you here that God showers his blessings upon you. He showers his grace upon you because of Jesus. But we need to be careful. And I can tell you guys, because we are going to see blessings here in manifestation in this place, we are going to see things that you have never seen before. And if you are not careful, the pride of life, it will overtake you. It will consume you. That's why God is saying, you need to know this grace. You need to see what God has done for you. And you should not forget that is the God who saved you. Is the God who took you out of Egypt. Is the God who is at work in your life. I will help some of you here. The physical manifestation of the abundance of grace. So that when you see it, you'll know that this is grace. He will give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Houses full of good things which you did not feel. I am convinced. I'm absolutely convinced. You know, you know, some of you are busy working very hard so that you can get a house. Praise God. Amen. And, and there's nothing wrong. You see. But God can give you houses you did not build. But how can you believe that? You need to believe that when you understand the covenant of grace. It's not about me. It is about Jesus. And you know, I, I always like to encourage myself, you know. That you know, when God says... He'll give you a house you did not build. Some of you begin to say, oh, thank God for the house, but what about the furniture? It is full of good things. It is finished. Hallelujah. Even in the wardrobes, there are clothes. 
And just for your benefit, God knows your size. And your taste as well. You see, when you begin to meditate on the goodness of God, you will forget that you are in the wilderness. Whatever the devil tries to throw at you, it doesn't make sense at all. Wells which you did not dig. Hallelujah. And vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. I know I preached this one when I'm from another perspective. I'll, I'll preach it on another day. But here we are, we are talking about what is written. God did it for the rebellious people. Because of covenant. Now we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We should do better. All we need to do is to believe and receive or doubt and do without. I know some of you are saying, oh yes, but that was Old Testament. I'll give you the New Testament version of that. Because Jesus spoke this grace upon your life. John chapter 4 verses 30, 34 to 38. Jesus said to them, his disciples, this is after the woman at the well, that, uh, that prostitute Jesus met at the well. The disciples had gone to, to, to McDonald's or KFC to get some food and they came and they wanted to give him food and he said, no, my food is to do the will of my father. And they were saying, hey, did somebody give him food? Then he said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. They are white and ready for harvest. Then, he's, then and he 